very least. Um, so yeah, uh, for the tenth episode here, we've um, I've decided to re um, not rehash but readdress a uh, uh, the very first episode's theme of um, of LGBTQ plus representation and of the uh, just general ideas surrounding queer visibility and representation. Um, I will be using the word queer to represent LGBTQ. I also will make the acknowledgement here that I understand that not everybody is within the community is comfortable using that term. It's a term that I like to use because um, I think that it can fully encompass all of uh, the various identities that are affiliated within um, the growing uh LGBTQ extended um, uh, acronym, I guess, initials, whatever you would like to call it. Um, queer is just, you know, a word that I'm going to use for uh, quickness's sake and so that I uh, am, am addressing the full community. Um, and within this, we're going to sort of expand and talk about some ideas within the full community um, and talk about uh, just some things with regards to visibility, representation, um, positive, negative, all of the things within, in between, you know, everything. So uh, we're going to start off here uh, by talking quickly about uh, just housekeeping. Um, this is going to be more of a ramble style one. I've done some episodes like this before where I just sort of riff and talk. And um, maybe that's all my episodes. I don't know what my... I, I don't really have like a set... Um, uh, a set structure for my podcasts, I guess. You know, I, I just kind of go with it. Uh, Sometimes, you know, I have my notes and uh, stuff, but I don't... Um, I don't plan it out. I don't really have like a, a set um, script. I just kind of go and uh, I hope you can't hear my stomach growling because I'm, I'm doing this before I have lunch. So anyways, so um, the reason why we're visiting the first topic is just to like a sort of show where we started and where we are now, 10 episodes in, we're going to, um, you know, uh, I'm not going to address really any of the core uh, things that we talked about in the first episode, I think it stands what I what I said, and um, we're gonna continue and talk about some other things and some things that I didn't get to because again, I think I said this in the first episode, but LGBTQ representation is such a broad and varied topic, and you know there are so many things I could talk about. So these are just some things that I've sort of come up with. Um, and again, uh, if you would like to reach out or comment on the episodes or whatever, engagement's always amazing. You can find us on, uh, you could email us at, uh, radio nerd, uh, WLU at gmail.com, or you can find us on Instagram, uh, and I'm... <laughs> I'm trying to be better. I'm not very good at the social media, I don't think. Um, 
but I'm trying to be better about uh, uploading posts every time a new episode comes up. But, um, you know, I stumble sometimes. Uh, you can find us at radio underscore nerd W-O-U on Instagram. Um, so, yeah, uh, feel free to reach out at either of those places and, you know, talk. Say hey. You know, say if you liked an uh, episode, say if you didn't like an episode. Um, if you've got points that you want to add on, like, yeah. This is a conversation, is the tagline, apparently, for this entire show, is this is a conversation. It's not wrong, but, uh, yeah. Anyways, let's just get into it. Um, so the first sort of topic I want to talk about here is uh, queer erasure, specifically uh, in anime. Now, um, if you're not a big anime fan, uh, then this might be be all news to you if you are a big anime fan maybe you've heard of this maybe you haven't who knows whatever uh so anime just for people to give a very broad definition anime is uh you know animation specifically from japan and um uh sometimes when this animation is licensed to american specifically companies but we'll say western in general uh, to those companies, they will, uh, and they dub it, uh, that is, uh, getting rid of the Japanese audio and putting English audio in, uh, with English voice actors and such, um, they will change things to better fit with either, sometimes it's to better fit with mouth movements, sometimes it's to better fit with ideas of what the culture, of what, uh, cultures would accept, specifically in the West here. Now, it's with that idea of what cultures will expect that we get problems most of the time. So there are different, uh, there are uh, plenty of different ideas surrounding uh, queer characters that have been um, completely um, reimagined or taken out of. Uh, something that's very classic is Sailor Moon which is uh, a fairly well-known thing. I'm, I'm sure plenty of people have heard of Sailor Moon. And Sailor Moon in uh, Japan has a uh, lesbian couple. They have some uh, genderqueer characters. They have a lot of diversity with regards to sexuality within the, the, um, within the show. But when translated over into the English adaptation, many of these characters, uh, specifically the lesbian couple comes to mind. Um, I'm just, I always forget which sailor soldier is which. Um, yeah, uh, Sailor Uranus and Sailor Neptune are, uh, are a couple who are romantically involved. And... Um, it's canon within the adaptation, but when the original Sailor uh, um, series was ported over to uh, the United States in the 90s uh, slash early 2000s, that was changed to be just close friends. And we're going to come up and we're going to talk about this idea of close friends a couple of times, like queer best friends and intentional versus unintentional queer coding. I touched on coding a little bit um, in the first episode, and we're going to sort of readdress queer coding and talk about it a little bit here too. Um, another one that comes to mind that's a little bit more modern is Evangelion. 
uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion, which is a well-known anime, um, very well-known. Uh, in Japan, it's super famous. Um, and this is not a... Uh, Evangelion is an older anime. It came out in the 90s, early 2000s. I can't remember the exact date. But um, this specific problem I'm talking about is a very recent problem. Uh, within the past couple of years, it was added to Amazon or to Netflix, not Amazon. I always mix up my companies that are terrible. Netflix decided that they were going to redo all of the um, subtitles as well as redo a bunch of the voice lines, and they changed a fundamental character, um, a gay relationship in the in the uh, show. Uh, that was very clearly given within the Japanese version between uh, the main character Shinji and his friend Kaoru, who, you know, their friendship becomes more so than that. And it is kind of a big impact on how the series progresses and sort of the culmination and climax of the, uh, of the end um, because of things that I'm not going to get into, but their relationship is important. It's not just like side dressing but their relationship as a couple and being in love specifically is super important. And when adapted into Netflix, they change words like Karu saying, I love you to I like you. And things like Kaoru reinforcing Shinji's um, insecurities about being worthy by him, you know, Kaoru saying in return, uh, you're worthy of love to you're worthy of my grace, which is really a weird way of saying something. I don't like you're worthy of my grace seems like something that you would say to uh, a higher religious authority or to a, um, I don't know, a monarch, I guess. And it's just really weird that they keep changing it. Um, you know, and they and it's it's not just that they change lots of things. Um, you know, Shinji addresses that and talks about how Kaoru, you know, said he loved him, and that nobody else ever said they loved him. And Netflix changed that to like and everything like that. And it's just it's erasure, plain and simple. It's it's the um, intentional removing of a um, queer relationship within it. And it's not the first time that uh, Netflix has uh, faced controversy with regards to um, continuing to keep content up that is not um, positive towards the LGBTQ community. Uh, there are things with regards to comedians that I'm not going to get into. Uh, as well as other things like that. Netflix isn't great. And like all big companies uh, that are yoked in capitalism, uh, to just fully put it out there that I'm not, that I'm anti-capitalist, um, a lot of them are very problematic. And a lot of them, you know, they think about uh, bottom lines. They don't think about content. They think about uh, money more than anything else, instead of accurately representing people who, you know, are a legitimate market that they should be representing. 
many times these um, decisions that are made in some ways don't make sense and are almost antith- the antithesis to capitalist ideas. Would you not, like the, the queer community, when they like a source of media, they put their weight behind it pretty strongly. And would you not want the support of the queer community going into a um, going into a piece of media that you have? Like, you could sell merchandise out the wazoo for that kind of stuff, you know? Who knows? I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Maybe that's my opinion. Maybe I have the wrong opinion of, of the queer community. I don't know. Who knows? Doesn't matter. Um, finally, we're going to talk about the trope of traps. Now, you're going to ask what a trap is in anime and uh, in anime-related things like manga uh, and even, you know, uh, pornographic versions of uh, anime. Um, there are uh, characters called traps, and they are um, feminine-appearing male characters who uh, dress and appear to be female. And these characters... Um, well, uh, they're, they're played up, the, the, the idea of trap is sort of like uh, a community almost, uh, slur, I would say towards them, you know, like it, it's, it comes from the whole, you know, meme of, uh, it being a trap that you are into them and then finding out later that they were in fact had a penis basically, right? And it's a very crude way of describing um, what is essentially trans characters. You know, the, a lot of these characters, they're dressing as, as female because, you know, female is how they identify themselves. Um, not even to get into, you know, bad uh, anime that uses... Uh, dressing as a woman as some sort of weird plot device as well. But it's a huge problem within um, within anime. And that's not to say that uh, the that anime can't do trans characters well um, because sometimes they can do it well. And sometimes those characters, even though they are negative stereotypes, they're the only representation that many trans people get within uh, a medium like anime. And uh, this is the real problem that I'm going to probably continue to come back to within this uh, episode, is that when you don't see anybody who looks like you or who acts like you or who loves the people that you do, it's very hard to acknowledge your own identity. You know, and that's going broadly, like that's just representation as a whole, you know? When kids don't see the wide variety of available identities that they could belong to themselves, and that's not insinuating a choice, I'm saying the wide variety of identities that um, that they could feel that they are. 
it's it's very hard for someone to accept it. It took me a very long time personally to realize that I was bisexual, even though some of the things that I said, some of the things that I felt were clearly that. There is very little in the way of male bi rep representation. And I'm going to come back to that idea because I have a lot of things to talk about with regards to that. Because at the end of the day, it is my identity, and so I'm going to focus on it because that's who uh, you know I'm talking about. Perhaps later on, um, I would love to have people on who are of other queer identities and would like to talk about their experiences um, with their identities. And I think it's really important to show that while maybe a straight person's idea of queer representation is being represented in a lot of media, the wide breadth and variety that comes with being queer is not. Let's transition into maybe some more positive ideas just to vary this up because, you know, it bums me out when I'm super negative, even though I feel like I have to be super negative. Um, anime has good queer representation, like I said. Um, a lot of the problems with the erasure comes with coming to North America, which is ironic, I think, considering that North America <clears throat> overall tends to have a little bit more positive of a view of queer people. I think in Japan, the uh, queer representation and queer subculture is growing, um, but it's nowhere on the level that it is here. Um, but, you know, um, it's really that, that big pro that transition. And it doesn't happen as much anymore, but it still happens clearly like the Netflix thing. You know, it, it was a very big problem in the 90s when anime was first coming here. And, you know, the fact that uh, we think about things uh, differently now. Well, I shouldn't say that. Uh, plenty of people thought about things differently then, too. I mean, the 80, or the the 60s and 70s were sort of the awakening of the idea of queerness, and then the 80s was a repression of that culture through the AIDS uh, epidemic. But yeah, the 90s sort of continued. The 90s and even the early 2000s. It's only now that we're having a sort of renaissance of accepting those things. Um, something that I came across was uh, Steinsgate does a decent job. I've never seen Steinsgate, so a grain of salt here. Um, but I've heard uh, positive things with regards to, uh, you know, trans... Uh, characters within, you know, both uh, Sailor Moon originally and uh, the character Fisheye and, you know, Steinsgate with the character of uh, Luka Urushibara. Um, you know, and it's some amount of, you know, like, it's a trans character that is facing transphobia, essentially. It's not the representation we want, 
Yeah, you know, okay, okay, I'm going to go back there. It's not good representation. It's representation. But this is, again, the same problems that uh, um, we're seeing within thing within media is that um, there's good representation and bad representation. And bad representation is so easy to do, especially with regards to um, less represented um, sexualities and gender identities. And... The problem becomes is that um, you need to talk to those people. And we're going to talk about that, I think, too. You know, like, sensibility readers uh, are a thing. And that is that is uh, the occupation of reading something um, and seeing if it, well, you know, affects your sensibilities to a certain degree. You know, it's to check for uh, discrimination, uh, to check to make sure that you're doing diversity correct, to check to make sure representation is not straying into the territory of stereotype and bigotry, um, which is bad. Um, and it's not done very well. I mean, we are talking about a different culture, but I don't... It's a different culture whose products are exported worldwide as a commodity you need to be reflective of the worldwide audience in that respect. I th I'm sure plenty of people would disagree with me, but I'm going to just come out and say that that's my opinion. I don't think um, culture is ever a an excuse to be discriminatory towards um, anything, towards, uh, you know, people of color towards people of uh people who are queer towards um people of other religions of anything you know none of that is an excuse at all you cannot say because of my identity i hate other people with other identities that's not how things work hate's a choice an identity is not a choice So let's actually, I guess that wasn't really a positive. I just kept going on the negative. <laughs> uh, my bad. Uh, it's a little bit of a fault uh, for me. I'm trying to be more positive, but uh, I don't know. It's hard. Um, some games, and this is from Japan too, are doing better about this, right? Nintendo, I think, has a good idea of them being... Uh, an international company now at this point and i think this comes with as we move into our global age you know there is this very uh, palpable um conflict between ideas of nationalism and ideas of globalization and as we continue to break out of those ideas of invented communities um surrounding a uh, a state and, and, and consider us more as a collective humanity, I think we'll come to understand more of these ideas worldwide. Uh, maybe that's a hopeful regard. But Pokemon and Animal Crossing both um, have started removing gender uh, in their characters, instead asking you to pick a style. Um, Animal Crossing as well has 
and Pokemon has started including in their characters a very uh, a much wider uh, array of um, skin color with regards to diversity. And while it doesn't necessarily fit into our topic today of queer representation, it's important to always, I think, talk about people of color within the queer community as well because it's a marginalized group within a marginalized group. These people need the protection of the wider LGBT community, need the protection of the greater queer community as a whole, um, because, well, frankly, <laughs> who else is going to help them, right? They face discrimination based on both the color of their skin and on their sexual orientation. And sometimes those are from different groups of people. You know, as well, people who are uh, queer and people of color uh, tend to face a lot more, or tend to um, have families that, are, that reject uh, their identities far more often than... Um, people who are white and queer you know i'm lucky enough to have parents that are you know relatively understanding about these kinds of things but that's not everyone and even then you know there is a sense of finding community and found family within the queer uh community that is very important for one's identity to find people who they can feel comfortable with, feel comfortable being themselves with. It's, it's not easy to do that with people who don't understand your identity. And that's especially so when you have multiple marginalized identities. Let's talk about queer relationships because this is sort of the... the, the thing that I was doing the most kind of looking into um, because queer relationships and their depiction within media uh, aren't fantastic. <laughs> um, one thing that we see a lot of is uh, lesbian relationships, especially in kids' cartoons. I talked last episode about She-Ra. And uh, at the end of the very last episode, the main character, Shira, Adora, you know, uh, and Katra finally, you know, put aside their differences and realize that they love each other. And, you know, they share a really heartfelt kiss and it's, it's incredible. It's really great. And, you know, on top of that, there's also a very stable lesbian relationship that's depicted throughout the entirety of the season with the characters of... Um, Oh, why am I forgetting their names right now? <laughs> Natasha and Spinnerella. That's who it is. They have a very stable lesbian relationship throughout the entirety of uh, the show. Uh, just kind of as a background to show that, you know, those are doable. But there's only one depiction of a, of a gay couple a gay male couple and that's Bo's parents and they are featured in I believe two episodes now 
this isn't new. This isn't uh, like this is a pretty common thing, right? The sexualization and acceptance of lesbian relationships is well documented and ever present. And lesbian relationships tend to be depicted more often within kids' cartoons because news media execs, predominantly white men, white straight men, are much more comfortable seeing that than they are seeing gay relationships between two men. What we instead get are gay male relationships that have toxic elements to them and that are incredibly negative. Um, you know, we have uh, Hannibal as a really great uh uh, example of that uh, the tv show um uh, that's based on um the books red dragon and um silence of the lambs uh and talks about uh the relationship between the characters hannibal lecter and uh, will graham <clears throat> i'm not going to go super in depth to this um a really great resource that i have recently come across uh from uh, a friend uh, that is really incredible is um, the video called um, The Gay Appeal of Toxic Love um, by James Summerton on YouTube. Um, yeah, if you just type in The Gay Appeal of Toxic Love, it should come up. Um, it's It goes really in-depth into uh, these ideas of uh, toxic uh, gay relationships in media and where they come from and uh, some examples of it that uses Hannibal and then it also uses Anne Rice's uh, The Vampire Chronicles, um, like the interview of, uh, of a vampire. Interview of a vampire? Interview with a vampire? I can't remember. It doesn't matter. Anyways... Uh, James Summerton goes into it in depth, and I'm not going to repeat words that he said, only a few here and there, because <laughs> um, they're good points. But there is a lot of toxicity that comes in gay relationships, and it comes from a lot of the circumstances that surround uh, queerness. And it also comes, again, from those um, ideas of trying to push those uh, topics away trying to uh, erase uh, the identity of uh, gay men specifically. Um, surprisingly, in this respect, anime has been starting to do a really good job. Yuri on Ice is a really big standout um, of a positive queer relationship between two men. Um and again, there's plenty of other, you know, good examples of relationships between gay men um, in anime. Um, there's also negative relationships. And this is sort of more of a pan-Asian at this point. Um, but uh, there's a, um, a manhwa, I believe it is, or maybe it's a webcomic. I've never read it because honestly, it sounds like it would give me panic attacks and just trigger some stuff but um 
killing stalking is a uh Oh, it's a very negative portrayal of a gay relationship, and it's surrounding power dynamics, it's surrounding abuse, rape, um, and a lot of themes that go into that, and it's a very negative portrayal of a relationship. James Somerton talks about killing stalking a bit as people um, have an obsession with it, uh, as well, um, a lot of people have obsessions with these toxic gay relationships, and it's really problematic. Um, <laughs> um, and it's strange that we have, um, you know, the entire uh, sort of genre of yaoi, which is um, male romance essentially between two males sometimes taken into uh, you know pornographic materials and sometimes just in adult forms and i'm like sort of separating those to be where adult forms you know are a story that involves sexual encounters oh i said it like that that was weird but um and pornography being just about the sexual content this is where the line that I'm drawing, but there is those that division where there is um, yaoi of both types. And within the adult stuff, we tend to have, um, you know, um, we tend to have better queer relationships, uh, specifically between men. Um, one thing that I will talk about is that... Um, while these relationships can tend to be more positive on a relationship level, the way in which the dynamics work and the way that the characters are drawn tend to be more reminiscent of a heterosexual relationship with a dominant masculine kind of man and a feminine man as the two. And the feminine man being more submissive and the masculine man being more dominant. It's, that's negative. That's a negative. I'm just going to say that outright because, you know, that's not necessary in a relationship. You don't need someone to wear the pants, air quotations or whatever. You don't need those things in a relationship. That's not what a relationship's about. Uh, for some people, maybe that's what a relationship's about. I would argue that that's a very flawed view of relationships. Um, but it's also not necessarily, especially in uh, queer relationships, because queer relationships tend, uh, ideally, I'm not going to say tend, ideally are based on partnership, right? All relationships are ideally based on partnership on an equal sharing of things. What these specific yaoi relationships tend to focus more on is a power dynamic. And if all of your relationship ideas of relationships are focused on power dynamics, I think that says a lot about how you think about relationships and how you think about gender. Having a man as a stand-in for a submissive woman is both, I would argue, 
homophobic and misogynistic at the same time. Um, but this is the problem, is that these are all of the sort of representations we're getting. And plenty of people are informed in their worldview by what they see in the media they consume. If someone expects to see that in a queer relationship and then is exposed to a, relation, a queer relationship in real life, they're going to expect to see those dynamics, especially if that's the only thing they've ever been exposed to. And I'm not just talking about people who are queer and in queer relationships. I'm also talking about people who are straight and who don't understand looking at the dynamics of a relationship like that, what is supposed to be happening there. Now, I'm going to take some time here and talk about my own personal identity, and we're going to talk about bisexuality. And I'm going to also say that this can um, also apply to pansexuality. Um, I'm a firm believer that pansexuality and bisexuality are essentially two different words for the same type of sexuality, but that are sort of straddle along a spectrum of things. Um, I probably place myself somewhere in the middle of that structure. I personally uh, identify as bi because it's easier to explain bisexuality to people who are straight. And it's also, I also just like the flag better. I like purple, you know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I would say I straddle somewhere along the line between pan and bi. And, you know, something that people always struggle with with bisexuality is choices. They think that if someone is in a queer relationship, in a relationship with someone who is queer, uh, that that relationship is queer. But then as soon as you're in a relationship with someone who society deems to be uh, representing a heterosexual relationship, that relationship is heterosexual. And this is a very wide problem, and it's a problem faced by many people who are bisexual or pan. And a very famous, uh, probably my famous uh, out and out bisexual person is David Bowie. And David Bowie has a very famous clip where people, where uh, he's in an interview, and they're like, you know, people have asked this, and you've danced around the subject. Uh, like, are you bisexual? And he just goes, no, I haven't danced around the subject. I've said out and out that I am bisexual, and I am. And he has songs about it and everything as well. But it's just that ignorance an active ignoring of someone saying, this is my identity. Something I dealt with a lot of was having people call me things like half gay and erasing the identity that I had proclaimed out to the world. And it's not a good feeling. It's really not a good feeling. And it's something that is constantly de dealt with, especially with regards to myself being a out male bisexual. There is very little male bisexual representation. Hannibal is somewhat of a representation of a male bisexuality, but one done in a very negative way. 
Instead, we have a lot of female representation of bisexuality. And that goes back to the things that I was talking about before, that it's easier for people to accept a woman kissing another woman than it is to accept a man kissing another man. And you see this in uh, CW's Arrowverse with a bisexual female character, uh, in Brooklyn Nine-Nine with um, Rosa Diaz, who's a bisexual character. And pansexuality as well gets so much less representation. The only character that I could think of was David Rose. Rose, is that his last name? From Schitt's Creek. Uh, is that David Rose? Yes, David Rose. I got it right. Which is played by, you know, uh, famous Canadian, uh, Dan Levi. And uh, Dan is, um, maybe I should check this just before I, I say something terrible. I think he's pansexual himself. Um, oh, no, he, sorry, he's avoided uh, uh labeling his sexual identity which is very very wise i think and very and perfectly uh fine to do obviously but dan levi is sort of a gay icon right and him depicting a pansexual character is really important because uh, again i think another problem just as an aside here tangent um having queer actors play queer characters is incredibly important um yeah uh and yeah like i said pan representation is really bad uh, there's not a lot of it um animation's a little bit better about this but again they fall into that same track and the two examples i have here are adventure time and uh Korra, uh, The Legend of Korra, the sequel to Avatar, The Last Airbender. Um, Korra herself is a bisexual character. And in Adventure Time, you have um, Marcella, the Vampire Queen. I think that's her name. I haven't seen Adventure Time. So some of these examples aren't from things that I've seen. But with Korra, I think the depiction of a bisexual relationship and her and Asami both being bisexual... Um, is good. I don't think some of these representations are bad necessarily. I just think... I just think it's overwhelmingly women. And... there aren't a lot of openly bisexual men. That's a problem because of things like patriarchy, because of things like... Um, more overt discrimination towards queer men, whether that is uh, transsexual women or transsexual men, whether that is uh, gay, bisexual, and pan men, whether that's asexual men, aromantic men, whether that's people who identify as two-spirit or non-binary there is this backlash against people who, to society's example, should be men. 
And it's overwhelming and palpable sometimes how oppressive it is. Like I said, you know, I'm not immune to that. I felt that as well. And um, I'm not sure if I've talked about this on the podcast. I can't remember everything I've said. But part of the reason why I came out knowing who I was was because I was grappling with my own privileges being a white man. And there's plenty of people out there who don't have the luxury of getting to look like I do. And part of me grappling with that part of my identity and how it influences with the other part of my identity was why I came out. And, you know, there have been plenty of people who have been very, who have been very positive about my identity. And I'm overwhelmingly thankful for those people. But at the same time, there have been plenty of people who are not. And there, this is just a very short period of my time and my experiences being out. And I don't think that that will, I don't think that uh, it's the last times that I've experienced that. And I think for people who are younger, especially, and for people who perhaps do not have as thick of skin as I do, it's very hard to deal with those things. It's very hard to not see your identity out there and not see your identity being displayed in a positive way. As a side note, I know this is a very deep conversation, but my stomach keeps growling and I really hope that you can't hear it. Uh, one, um, I'm going to address some more examples here. Um, games, video games is a thing that I like to play a lot. And there is so little by representation in video games. It's, it's laughable. Um, they're, they're getting better with queer representation and there has been queer representation in video games for a long time. But there are still plenty of specific um, identities that are just left by the wayside um, or that are treated as choices by the player. When you're able to romance different genders, different people of different sexualities, it's always the player being given a choice. And... I understand to a certain degree that is so that it, the game can appeal to as wide an audience as, as possible. But that also makes it so that you don't have actively queer characters within your um, availability, within your setting. Where are those characters when you don't make those choices? Are they... Do they have an unknown sexuality schrodinger's sexuality to say is it just whatever it needs to be for the characters and for the players to enjoy it because that's not good representation either i will say things are starting to get somewhat better 
um, Loki in the MCU in the recent depictions of the character uh, is being depicted as gender fluid as well as um, being bisexual or pansexual like I said spectrum and it's positive it's really great Tom Hiddleston's also fantastic looking so <laughs> there's that too right um, and and it's always fascinating to have a character who falls in love with a different version of themselves <laughs> <laughs> to say a little bit about the narcissism there, as well as some of the messed up um, ideas that surround uh, what is probably uh, a tumultuous upbringing in Loki's case. It's interesting. It's very fascinating to look at all these things. Um, but again, like I said, these are overwhelmingly female depictions of bisexual characters. And that goes back to those to these oppressive ideas. And I think it needs to be better. There needs to be more representation. And there needs to be more acceptance as well that bisexuality is not sitting on a post, but it's its own separate thing outside of just lesbian and gay relationships. It's its own separate sexuality. Just like being non-binary is outside of the binary of gender. Bisexuality is out, bisexuality is outside of the falsely constructed binary of heterosexual and homosexual relationships. Let's also talk about some completely ignored sexualities. Because I'm talking about bisexuality because this is how I identify. And I mentioned that it would be fantastic to talk to people who are of other sexualities. Ace or asexual relationships are never depicted. Transsexual relationships are very rarely depicted. Aromantic characters are very rarely depicted. Uh, nine non-binary characters, two-spirit characters, all of these very valid identities, some that are wrapped up in cultural traditions that go back hundreds of years, like two-spirit, it being completely ignored by media especially by nerd media where plenty of these people are members of, of nerd, the nerd community, um, is horrible. I talked to an ace friend and um, I was directed at the episode of House, the TV show, season eight, episode nine, called Better Half, where asexuality is treated as a symptom of a medical condition and that having sex is the natural order to things and that not having sex is a problem and it's been chastised time and time again by the asexual community and 
negative stereotypes can be just as powerful as positive ones. That is the core problem that I'm getting to. And the necessity to give good representation so that people can see themselves, see themselves as themselves is so important. And I've talked about representation a couple of times now over the podcast, but it's so, so vitally important that if you are personally creating something and you are not of that identity, you have to talk to someone who is that identity. Because you will never fully understand what it is like to be that person. You'll never fully understand what it is like to grow up and to experience the things that they've experienced. I will never understand what it is like to grow up to being a person of color. I just won't. That's why I ask them. I ask my friends who are people of color if something that I am doing or something that I perceive that could be that way is like that. Now, I do it sparingly and I do it in a way to not burden that person that's also just as important but if you are a creative and you're in the space there are people whose jobs it is to do that you know I mentioned sensibility writing and, or reading and that's a very important profession I think going into uh, the future and to help create a <clears throat> create a generation of media that allows <clears throat> people to see good representations of themselves. Whether those are representations that have been depicted plenty of times over, or they're representations that are pushed to the side, ignored and forgotten about. It's important to continue to talk about these things and to talk about this specifically. And I think that that's part of the reason why I wanted to do this as my 10th episode is that I want to keep talking about this because not just because it's my identity, but because it's an important identity to be depicted. All identities are important to be depicted. And by only depicting a few not only do you alienate, ostracize, and other people who are of non-depicted identities, you also end up with blanketed and boring material. And at the end of the day, as nerds, do we not want to watch things that are interesting, diverse, and showcase stories that we could never even conceive of because we've never had those experiences. That's the beauty of giving varied identities the spotlight is a tapestry of different experiences and imaginations. I'm going to end it there because I think that's a good part to end on. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. A bit somber there and somewhat negative. But I hope that 
all of these things are similar to Pandora's box and that you can see that even though I'm letting out all the bad, there's still some hope left there. Uh, yeah. Again, uh, if you want to talk about this, if you would like to discuss it, if you have points, you can find the podcast uh, on Gmail at radionerdwlu at gmail.com or you can go on Instagram at radio underscore nerd WLU and uh, feel free to talk, say hey, whatever floats your boat. Bye.